Change. You're listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, also 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Up next, Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide in darkness from the ones who walk in light light them up boys there's your picture drop the shadows out of sight this is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is Tuesday, November 11th, 2014. If you are a regular listener to KPFA, you will know by now that we lost one of our oldest programmers. Last week, Denny Smithson was an uh, integral part of the KPFA family, Many, many years uh, before the time I came to the station in 1982, uh, it was, yes, so long ago, I think, yes, there were, there were one or two others um, that are still around, but uh, Denny, Denny, I remember along with Eric Bowersfeld and later Susan Stone, in those days, we called this... Uh, <laughs> arts and literature, and even the drama department. That sounds so old-fashioned these days. <laughs> anyway, uh, I think, yes, the, the secret, one of the secrets uh, was Denny's job at Cody's Bookstore here in town in Berkeley that gave him uh, a chance to check out all the new books and the new writers, you know, uh, in those times, in the 80s, 70s, new authors uh, gave public readings uh, everywhere, not just in San Francisco, but all over the East Bay. Kind of a renaissance uh, in those days, um, you know, the 1960s counterculture. The poets and writers came to KPFA, you know looking for some backup, some support in the electronic media. Uh, you know, radio and uh, even TV can do more for a new book than print. That's for darn sure. Anyway, uh, I remember those days. Uh, they're all associated in my mind with Denny's uh, work here at this station. Telegraph Avenue... Cody's Bookstore across the street was Moe's Books. Fabulous. Even in the 40s. You know, uh, Larry Blake's upstairs reading, I remember. That would been in 70s. I don't quite... The Forum. That was the name 
of the coffee house on the corner. But that goes back to uh, my college days in the 50s. In the 60s and 70s, it was the Mediterranean coffee house. My idea of uh, joy was to have a window seat at the Mediterranean cafe. <laughs> anyway, uh, Salamandra, I think, was my favorite in the 70s. La Salamandra. There were pictures of the, uh, yes, the fiery reptile called a salamander. <laughs> I never understood what the uh, what the image was about where poets were concerned. We had uh, poetry slams. Uh, the center of our world was these, uh, I think it was Monday evenings. Everyone in our community would uh, turn up. Paladin, yes, he roared in on his motorcycle. Academic poets mixed with the renegades. Uh, some bawdy women poets came and they pulled with them these sad uh, weeping willow girls, you know, the ones who were too shy to read, and then finally they'd get them to express themselves. Gay writers hung out with straight poets. Uh Something different, yes. It was the eclectic quality that I loved. Uh, identity politics was not really the thing at that time. You know, the young, young poets, the first-time performers, were encouraged by us old folks. Uh, I remember Sally Sleepwell did uh, stand-up comedy, I guess you'd call it. Uh, yes, she... She'd get up on stage, and she would play Mary Magdalene. And uh, I would answer her in the voice of the Virgin Mary. And we would discuss Christ's little foibles and hang-ups. <laughs> anyway, uh, we thought we were iconoclastic. Uh, one time, I remember, uh, she thought it would be fun for me to uh, read some politically incorrect material, at which point she jumped up on a table with a gun and saying, did anybody hear that iconoclastic bitch? I'm thinking that in today's world, <laughs> the cops would be down on us in a minute or two. Uh, uh, a woman called Kali uh, came some evenings and uh, she occasionally put on a beard. And she would say things like she'd been going through many changes during the last full moon. <laughs> In those days, witchcraft was something new, something different. Uh, it was, uh, what do you call that, very new agey. We would wear ropes of garlic and things like that. Uh, anyway... The uh, the thing about Nanny was that he had this instinct for the best, and uh, uh, he understood that uh, a few minutes on the air would do a great deal for an author's work. Uh, oh, look, a good book. That was his attitude. His choices were always eclectic. 
he gave as much time to the local authors as he did to the, uh, I guess we call them the big time East Coast guys. Uh, he certainly kept his eye out for the heavy duty work of progressives. And uh, he actually had time for the occasional eruption of funk as well, yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Denny, the sort of thing we all did back in the day. Uh, I thought of um, the other night of Berkeley Free Radio. Uh, I did that for a couple of years. I remember uh, it only lasted a couple of years, but it was the funkiest of all. Uh, I used to just take uh, Kurt Weill's uh, Bertolt Brecht's Three Penny Opera became my theme song for the show, which is why I use the last few phrases of it here for my intro. Uh, I thought that Berlin in the 1930s uh, was kind of kind of suggestive of what's going down now. There are echoes, any resemblance between those years in Berlin, you know, well, during the Weimar Republic, you know, that uh, moment in German history <laughs> when women had as many seats in the Reichstag as uh, they would ever have. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I just got such a kick out of uh, I just got such a kick out of Berkeley Free Radio. Uh, anyway, Danny over here at KPFA uh, was also not above making mischief. In recent years, well, I don't know, I think it's been the last couple of years, he decided that it would be fun to tell tales about moi. Uh, I wish, I wish I'd known Danny better. I, <laughs> I think that's one of the saddest things, you know, we mean to get to know people in all their dimensions. And then it's too late. I meant to call him about those stories he was telling. He he gave reports, you know. Uh, I was off somewhere in Paris, something like that. Anyway, uh, I thought about it this past weekend, and uh, it seems it seems unfair. Denny was only seventy one. He suffered from liver cancer, and uh, surely. Surely, I kept thinking there was still time to get to know him better, uh, talk to him about so many things. I guess uh, I'm not one of those who indulges in uh, too many, uh, too many uh, laments. I did look through my books about loss and. I thought of my mother's favorite poems from Edna St. Vincent Millay, and uh, I thought, well, these days everybody seems to want closure. That's not my, uh, that's not my attitude. Uh, I like laments, but uh, I sometimes think it isn't, you know, it isn't appropriate for someone 80 like me <laughs> to be morning uh, people who were so much younger than I am uh, I guess that's survivor guilt yes uh, hmm. I'm certainly not one of those who wants to see things as they should be uh, 
I think uh, <laughs> nothing is all for the best in this best of all possible worlds. I do not approve. That's the Malay poem, yes, she said. Uh, more, you know, more sacred or more holy to me, you know, was the look in your eyes than all the roses in the world, that sort of poem, you know. I found the poem by W.H. Auden that I always associate with our work here at KPFA. Uh, <laughs> yes, I remember reading it once with Fred Cody. He was the uh, founder of Cody's Bookstore. Uh, I remember I was talking to him one day at the Berkeley Cinema Guild down there on Telegraph. And uh, we took W.H. Auden's poem and we posted it in the windows of the bookstore. Uh, it was a time when we were having a little trouble with the police. You know, on a clear day we could see San Pablo. But let's see, here's W.H. Auden back in uh, the day. In these darkening times, Cody's offers this poem to our community. Design done by Bob Baldock. Uh, selected poems of W.H. Auden. I'll just give you the ending. Uh, All I have is a voice to undo the folded lie, the romantic lie in the brain of the sensual man in the street. And the lie of authority whose buildings grope the sky, there is no such thing as the state. And no one exists alone. Hunger allows no choice to the citizen or the police. We must love one another or die. Defenseless, under the night, our world in stupor lies, yet dotted everywhere. Ironic points of light flash out wherever the just exchange their messages. May I, composed like them of eros and of dust, beleaguered by the same negation and despair, show an affirming flame. You can find that in the works of W.H. Auden. The title is September the 1st, 1939. Uh, uh, one, one more, just one more verse here. I, I remember how much I like to use this poem in school. Uh, yes, the kids in the, uh, in the black schools I taught in, they certainly understood what justice was about, and they understood that things, uh, things were pretty grim. Faces along the bar cling to their average day. The lights must never go out. The music must always play. All the conventions conspire to make this fort assume the furniture of home. Lest we should see where we are lost in a haunted wood. Children afraid of the night who have never been happy or good. So 
I remember some junior high school kids who <laughs> used to talk about their feelings uh, having to do with that particular verse. Never mind. Uh, yes, for those of us of a certain age, every moment is, is goodbye. Uh, I think hmm, some of us... Some of those of us who get uh, get hung up on loss and uh, spend too much time wringing our hands. Uh, I actually did get hooked last weekend on the poems that talk about love, the love that lives on after death. I even found in Jane Austen uh, uh, the lines where she speaks of loving how women can love. When all hope is gone. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, points of light. I worry about that because I think the elder Bush used that phrase. Never mind. Uh, I have come to believe in eternal returns. It may be a little bit... Uh, <laughs> a little bit fey or just wishful thinking. I like the myths that tell us that... Uh, our fantasies are real, that the resurrection of the spirit, uh, this endless river of souls, is a circle. Uh, it is a creation, what is that, uh, with no beginning and no end. Gertrude Stein calls it circles, circles, circles. Yes, time is not linear. Anyway, I found all the beautiful lines about uh, the last lovers. And I thought, uh, it may be that all that stuff is just whimsy and I'm just indulging some romantic notions. Uh, but anything that brings us comfort in the hours of grief, whether it's just some tale we tell ourselves to keep ourselves going or... Uh, whether it's something that makes us willing to struggle with mortality, with existence. Uh, I think existential angst is always at my elbow now. I have, uh, yes, not just survivor guilt, but I see so many younger souls struggling the way I did. Uh, and I give them all these poems about <laughs> the river of forgetfulness, the river sticks, and uh, then I wind up giving them uh, <laughs> references to Woody Allen's Jazz Heaven. That's my favorite. I used to say at my demise, I should like to run into Woody Allen, uh, and he would take me to uh, uh, the little spot on the cloud, yes, I remember in the movie, Star, is it Stardust or Starlight Memories? I think Stardust Memories, right? And there is Louis Armstrong singing, Hello, Dolly. I, I would like to be able to say something wise today, something that makes everything all right, but I have no talent for these upbeat, uh, what is that, impulses. The Auden poem says that we must turn away from negative feelings. Uh, I try to do that. Actually, escape is my only remedy. Uh, 
late, late, late last night, I decided that I was hopeless. I switched on the American movie classics, and I just soaked up silent movies all night long. Talk about, talk about space case. Anyway, <laughs> I watched them till the sun came up. I love Lillian Gish. Now, for me, Lillian Gish makes me believe in angels. Not just in another life, but in this life. And how, uh, not just angelic, but how holy it can be. Greta Garbo made me believe in romance. The leading men of those times, those days, made me believe that men, males, could be as passionate as some of them claim to be. Ah, I can never make up my mind. Who is the king of Eros? You know, who was the sexiest silent film star of the past? Which guy? So I watched 1921's The Sheik last night, and I watched 1925's Ben-Hur, Story of the Christ. Ah, is erotic perfection to be found in Rudolf Valentino or Raymond Navarro? Valentino as the Sheik seemed the most romantic. And then, then the screenplay, the screenwriters messed up. They... <laughs> They wanted to get him off the hook, I guess. Um, anyway, they didn't want him to be an Arab. Uh, turned out he was English, you know, not a real Arab. She, uh, not a savage, wild man in the desert. He's the son of an English father and Spanish mother. Thus, he can legitimately marry the English aristocrat that he has kidnapped and ravaged. No more outlaw carried away by passion. Uh, that book, when I was, uh, I think, about 13, absolutely swept me away, the chic. <laughs> oh, um, anyway, uh, in that movie, as I say, he turned out to be an Englishman. Yes, in an English country garden, we leave him, Rudolf Valentino, as the chic. Yes, he was just a playboy, dressing up in exotic costumes, Long cigarette holders, you know. He was obviously trying to escape his frigid English bloodlines and, of course, uh, his Spanish mother there. Well, that gives him an edge, you know, so he can be turned on half the time. But for torment, for the anguish of love, it's Raymond Navarro, big time. I think he is better looking than... Uh, Rudolph Valentino, more masculine, athletic. I mean, it's got to be. Even those clever stuntmen uh, couldn't have pulled off that chariot race in 1925 if uh, he, he hadn't um, done his bit. Ben-Hur is uh, deadly serious. I, I'm always shocked when I see that chariot race. The actors, some of them insist that they did it all themselves. I doubt that very much. In the picture... A blonde femme fatale tells Judah Ben-Hur he is an Apollo. You remember, Apollo is the young Greek god who drove the chariot of the sun across the heavens every day. Now, uh, in the picture with those four 
white Arabian horses uh, driven by uh, uh, Judah Ben-Hur. <laughs> uh, pardon me, Raymond Navarro. There certainly was a celestial flame, a blazing sun on earth in that arena. I cannot help wondering how many horses were hurt uh, in that picture back in 1925. It was an astonishing chariot race. You know, the, the pile-ups, very violent, serious mayhem. A dozen horses jammed up in the uh, mess there while the chariot after chariot plowed into the wreckage, you know, just where they turn in the circle. Maybe there were some uh, rules about animal abuse back in 1925, but somehow I doubt if, uh, you know, they were taken that seriously. Maybe they had to pay a few fines. Never mind. Uh Raymond Navarro's scenes with his mother and sister knocked me out. Uh, I, I hate to say it, but it was art. The women in the prison sharing bread, you know. Uh, I don't know how they got those textures, those black and white and those grays. Uh, finally, you see the mother and sister alone in their cell. They are uh, lepers. The scene when Judah recognizes them at last. Ah, that's enough to knock me out. There's a long shot of the Last Supper. Jesus holding out his arms to the apostles, giving them the new commandment that they love one another. So be it. Those last scenes, of course, uh, show the crucifixion as it cures the mother and sister their leprosy disappears just as it did in the Charlton Heston picture and Judah Ben-Hur is free at last free to suffer to choose he chooses to drop his sword his hand simply loosens and the sword drops at the end of the movie, you get the earthquake and the darkness, and finally the resurrection and life everlasting, if you go for that sort of thing. And that, boys and girls, is the ultimate goal of sex, male or female, uh, sexuality, our raison d'etre, that's what it is. Our reason for being. Always sex and all things sensual are the work of our days and nights. The rule is only connect, the revolution of touch. These are the tasks set for us by our emotions and desires. These are the forces that teach the spirit to become manifest in the flesh. Love can be literal. It can express with the body what it knows to be truth. It can know, acknowledge, recognize, you know, uh, signals from the central nervous system make us understand that these holy moments, 
sensual, sexual, how those words have been mangled. Holy moments beyond time, beyond space, beyond even our imaginations. It is the force that has no name. Some poets call it transcendence. Science calls it magic. This has been Jennifer Stone. Be back on the air next Tuesday at the same time. Till then, go easy. If you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. In darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow out of sight. The KPFA Crafts Fair is our largest annual off-air event and takes place at the Craneway in Richmond on December 20th and 21st. You are invited to join the KPFA Crafts Fair team. Friendly, reliable volunteers are needed to help staff the doors and assist exhibitors at the fair. Your help is invaluable to the success of our event. And this is a great opportunity to come to the fair as KPFA's guest in return for working a three-hour shift. We need your help Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. To sign up, contact Felix at 510-848-6767, extension 629, or email volunteer at kpfa.org.